When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, July 3rd. How about that for day one at a major? The opening day of the 2023 Wimbledon delivering us so much excitement to enjoy, of course, on today's show, as I plan on doing on each and every day of this event. I want to break down all the biggest storylines, all the most notable results, so that all of you tennis fans feel caught up to date on everything that happened over the course of the last 24 hours. The best, or I guess glass half full take, coming off of day number one, we didn't even get to see the entire schedule play out. Rain, again, impacting what we did see throughout the course of the day. That said, while we didn't see everything, what we were delivered Boy, was it exciting. And of course, the biggest headline coming out of day number one, the match that had tennis Twitter ablaze with commentary. How about Sonia Kennan, the 2020 Australian Open champion, 2020 Roland Garros finalist has dealt with so much adversity since that breakout. 2020 season. And I say breakout in the truest sense. Yes, I know she was excellent in 2019. I know she laid the foundation for that success in 2018. If you don't believe me, go check the film. We have podcasts. I believe at the end of 2018, I predict Sonia Kennan to finish as one of the five highest ranked Americans in 2019. Now, not even I could have predicted the slam title to start 2020, the Roland Garros finals once Tennis immediately resumed post-COVID, but so much adversity, whether it be injuries, whether it be a lack of confidence. There have just been so many things that have prevented Sonia Kennan from regaining that form she found during that magical 2020 season. Well, I'll tell you what, folks, she found a little of that 2020 magic today. Sonia Kennan delivering us the result of the event through day number one as she knocks out seventh-seeded Coco Goff, 6-4-4-6-6-2. I think the craziest part of all of this is that Sonia Kennan is probably feels like the oldest 24-year-old we've ever had on the WTA Tour. Again, she has lived a full WTA Tour life from start to finish for most in her first three, four, five full years of play. And yet, for Sonia Kennan to stay steady, through a persistent is the better word than steady to stay persistent of her goals through all of that adversity it's a magical moment like this that can just be the course correction that can get Kennan back on the pathway that it just seemed she was destined for early in her career i mean some of the tennis she played today against coco goff absolutely stunning she reached into her full bag of tricks pulled all of the skills out Obviously, on today's show, I want to spend some time talking about what Sonia Kennan did right. But unfortunately, given the Goff forehand discourse that seems to be pervasive throughout the tennis talking community right now, perhaps we'll do a little Goff forehand talk and why I'm still extraordinarily 
optimistic about Coco Goff's future moving forward. That said, again, Kenan Goff, that's the biggest headline of day number one. I want to spend some time talking about that even more on today's show. I want to run you through everything, though, that happened on day one. All the upsets. We had four on the women's side, two completed upsets on the men's side, but a ton of seeds in trouble with matches suspended heading into day two. We'll take stock of where all of those stand. We'll talk about the matches that went the distance. We'll talk about how top seeds like Iga Svantec, Novak Djokovic, Kasper Ruud, Caroline Garcia, and others all fit throughout the course of the day. It is a jam-packed podcast, an efficient podcast, but a jam-packed podcast nevertheless that I am certain all of you tennis fans are going to enjoy. Of course, before we get to recapping Wimbledon, two quick notes, and then I swear we'll get to the business. A, our Crack Rackets team, we're thrilled. We're so excited. I'm going to be honest, both Westoff and Dalton Thieneman are right now in my parents' home, hanging out downstairs while I'm recording this podcast. We're having a little Crack Rackets powwow at the Gruskin Casa. That's the dream for me, and to have both Westoff and Dalton here, not just to hang out, but to have them here for a pro event in my home community, the Bloomfield Hills Challenger, the Cranbrook Tennis Classic, as it's more properly titled, happening this week. So many stellar players littered throughout the course of the draw. I know a lot of you are going to be focused on Wimbledon, of course, but guess what? There's a significant time difference between here and England, and so if you are stateside, you want to watch some additional tennis throughout the course of the day, a lot of big names, a lot of rising stars competing here in Bloomfield Hills this week. We're so fortunate to be able to get to speak with so many of them. That content going to be available on our Cracked Interviews podcast feed or our CR YouTube channel. And yes, I will tease it. I will get this Kei Nishikori interview this week if it's the last thing I do. I promise that to all you listeners. He is here in my hometown If I can't play that as a card to get him to come on the podcast, then maybe I shouldn't be in this business. So I'm putting the reputation on the line. Even if it's only five minutes, we will get something from Kei Nishikori, and we'll obviously get a lot more from the rest of the field as well, completing in Bloomfield Hills, competing, excuse me, at this Cranbrook Tennis Classic. So for that content, check out the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. Check out our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, working as hard as anyone in the business this week to make sure we keep you tennis fans up to date on everything happening in the tennis world. Part number two of this opening monologue, before we get rocking and rolling, I will not be doing any preview content. Repeat, will not be doing any preview content here on the Mini Break podcast feed, at least until week number two of Wimbledon. Now, why is that the case? Well, it's because I'm going to do a separate podcast, previewing my favorite matches of the day, offering you my favorite predictions, discussing the matches that I think factor most significantly into the 30,000-foot view of this third major of the year Preview podcast is going to be available each and every day on the Great Shot podcast feed. We did not live up to our standards at Crack Rackets throughout the course of the French Open. Even though we've got the Bloomfield Hills Challenger, I'm home. I'm comfortable. I'm in the zone. This is an Alex Gruskin week. I'm going to pitch a good game for all of you listeners. I'm going nine innings, I promise. Content on all of our platforms, previewing Wimbledon every day on the GSP, recapping it here on the Mini Break podcast feed, Bloomfield Hills content on Cracked Interviews and our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. We are rocking and rolling. Let's have ourselves an Independence Day. Let's have ourselves a start 
to this month of July. And with that all established, we had ourselves a start of this 2023 Wimbledon. Let's get into what was an exciting day one of play. And again, I know I did a little opening spiel on it in the introduction of this podcast, but it has been such a tough road for Sonia Kennan as she looks to work her way back to the top of the WTA game. And let's be clear, that's where Sonia Kennan was throughout the course of 2020. She was at the top of the women's game. She, you know, in a year where there's three majors, she reaches two finals. 66%. That's better than Hank Aaron. That's better than Babe Ruth. That's better than Ty Cobb. That would be the best batting average of all time. That's all you can ask for, you know, from a player is to be their best at the biggest events. And, you know, again, for Kennan to win a major and to do it, by the way, in 2020 at the age of 21 years old, like, that just doesn't happen very frequently for someone who had never made it past the round of 16 at a major to go all the way to win her first major title and then follow it up two slams later with her second final. It just felt like Kennan was destined for success. But of course, after 2020, she was just bitten by the injury bug. She dealt with a bunch of different coaching changes and just could never really find her rhythm since. And you look for Sonia Kennan, you know, during this stretch of time, she's 37 and 41 over the course of the past two and a half years. Again, 37 and 41, and that's not playing exclusively WTA level events. She's had to go and, you know, to try and search of rebuilding her form, regaining her confidence. She's gone and played 80K events. She's gone and played 125K events, which, by the way, her ranking right now outside the top 100 dictates that she has to play. Sonia Kennan had to play freaking qualifying to get into this major. She is a major champion. In fact, I'm giving you all some homework, and the reason I can't look this up is that I'm just unfortunately busy with the Bloomfield Hills Challenger, but please, listeners, first of you to tweet this at me, I will be immensely grateful. Prior to Sonia Kennan, and tag me in the tweet, please. Prior to Sonia Kennan this year at Wimbledon, who was the last former Grand Slam champion who had to play qualifying at a subsequent Grand Slam event just to get into the main draw of said event. I mean, I guess Emma Raducanu, if she's not offered a wild card, she might have fallen out of the top 100, so she may join this list pretty quickly as well. But I imagine it's been a while. And so for Kennan to not only have to play qualifying, where, by the way, she doesn't drop a set and she gets a 3-3 and win over a very, very good Taylor Townsend right now. To even reach the main draw, it's a step in the right direction. But for someone who's a former Grand Slam champion, steps in the right direction aren't enough. And for Sonia Kennan, who, again, 24 years old, turns 25 in November, it's time to take a leap. It's time to get back where she belongs. And that's the word I I would turn to most powerfully. She just looked like she freaking belonged against seventh-seeded Coco Golf. This was not your father's number seven seed versus a number a player ranked outside the top 120. No, this was elite shot making, elite efficiency, elite execution, and just yes, I know it was a repetitive game plan, but repeatedly. 
targeting that Coco Goff forehand. She was candid, Sonia Kennan, in saying, yes, I knew in, the, in her post-match press conference, yes, I knew when in trouble in the rally to bail out, to attack her forehand. But it was how Kennan went about doing it. It wasn't just flat, line drive, relentless pace into that forehand. It was that no two looks were ever the same. First, she's throwing short angle. Then she's throwing line drive. Then she'll throw a a full drive, you know, hack slice that lands three quarters into the court. Then, you know, after doing that, she'll throw high and heavy. And she'll throw that 20-foot ball, uh, that ball 20 feet elevated over the net to buy herself time to, you know, again, lull you to sleep and then... All of a sudden, she's taking two steps inside the baseline. She's hitting a swinging volley. She's working her way closer to the net. I know it says she was only 7 of 8 at the net, but the Wimbledon stats are wrong. They clearly didn't include swinging volleys in that metric. I mean, Kennan made 76% of her first serves. She lost just five points on her second serve throughout the course of the match. 22 winners, 18 unforced errors. She uh, won 19 of her 31 second serve return points the depth on the return of serve. Again, there's not a shot in Sonia Kennan's arsenal she can't hit. Short angles, topspin, drop shot, just... And how well she moves forward behind the drop shot and covers the first volley. Because to Coco Goff's credit, yes, the forehand was spraying on her, but Coco Goff was there. You know, Coco Goff made every extra ball. Uh, not made every extra ball, but, but excuse me, was at every extra ball and at least would ask subsequent questions on 60... 65% of those subsequent shots, but again, that's when Kennan would be there in the open court to put away the easy volley or, again, get that ball with just enough depth and just outside of the reach of Coco Goff that she's just a little bit too uncomfortable on that forehand side. Again, you look for a Sonia Kennan who I mentioned the 37-41 and 41 overall since the start of 2021. She is now three. She, she was 2-6 and six against top 20 opponents and you know, again, now she, uh, uh, excuse me, now three and six in all three of her wins against top 20 opponents since the start of 2021. All three of them have come this year. She beat Samsonova in Doha. She beat Sabalenka in Rome. Now she's beaten Coco Goff here at Wimbledon. I'm well aware she's been Helen back already in her career. She was someone who was, uh, you know, a top 10 junior in the world, someone who won the girls' 18s national championships when she was 16 years old or 15 years old and subsequently gets a U.S. Open wild card and is put on the radar of American tennis fans everywhere and has had to deal with that burden because guess what? She's the only, uh, her and Sloane Stevens are the only Americans to have won a major title since Serena Williams. Are in this, you know, post-Serena Williams era, I guess, and Sloan's was really during the Serena run. So, again, you take that one with a grain of salt. There was a lot of pressure put on Sonia Kennan's shoulders. And obviously dealing with that pressure, whether it be via coaching changes or just, again, the the physical wear and tear that playing that level of tennis clearly put on her body, the taxation that caused. And yet, look where we are now. Sonia Kennan, you know, knocks off Coco Goff, captures the attention of the tennis world once more, and again, was just ruthlessly efficient in how she went about dismantling that Coco Goff forehand. And look, you know, Goff, 33 winners, 33 unforced errors on the day. 
the number I see is 21 of those 33 unforced errors off the forehand wing. I saw the clip, I think it was of Renee Stubbs doing the breakdown of her forehand, discussing how her footwork is, you know, just as mistimed at times as the extremity, uh, or is just as, uh, you know, the timing of her footwork can be just as disruptive to the rhythm of her forehand as the extreme nature of her grip is. And from a technical standpoint, I very much agree with Renee Stubbs. I think clay courts are a testament to the fact that when Coco Goff has a little bit more time, that when her feet are there, that when she has, you know, that extra half second to take that extra backswing with the extreme nature of her grip, she's a French Open finalist. She can rip through that forehand. She is able to put additional, uh, she's able to generate additional racket speed and thus generate additional torque on the ball because of the nature of her forehand grip. But on this quicker surface where time is not available to her, yeah, that forehand can absolutely be a liability. And again, you have to, in this conversation, give so much credit to Sonia Kennan, who did as much to disrupt the rhythm of Coco Goff's forehand as Goff's footwork, I suppose, did in dis- in creating those errors. But look, the story's out. And if if 90% of tennis Twitter can see the issues with the Coco Goff forehand, then it really must be an issue. And... You know, again, whether it's footwork related, whether it is just opening up that grip, you know, extending through the shot more. It feels like she always pulls out of those errors, and so frequently it feels like those errors are shanked, you know, off the racket frame or pushed wide instead of maybe, or, or excuse me, pushed long because she opens up the grip face just a little bit too much. At the same time, she's 19 years old. She's still in the hunt for a second consecutive season to reach a second consecutive WTA Tour final. She's top 10 in the world in doubles. She, you know, she, she was she broke serve, I think, what, four times on her own? Or No, she, excuse me, she was two of six on break points, Ken and four of 10. But, you know, again, this was, it was a one break, you know, golf comes back in set number two. And after Kennan is, you know, again, Goff finds ways to become aggressive. Goff finds ways. She's just too athletic. She competes too hard to be rolled over. And I understand the forehand is an issue. She's 19 years old. And I just think every part, every other part of the game, of her game has continued to improve throughout the course of her career. I'm not willing to give up on her finding a way, whether it be making small adjustments with her footwork, whether it just be accepting, you know what? Let me try opening up the grip. Let me try something new at the pro level. And if you think she hasn't screwed around with that in practice at least once, you're you're crazy. Because obviously, again, if we know that the Coco Golf forehand is going to be targeted, you don't think she knows that that's the scouting report on her as well. And yet, the elite of the elite just have weapons that can disrupt your rhythm. And you don't want to give them any low-hanging fruit to make it that much more simple to do so. The golf forehand against the elite of the elite is the is the side they are going to target each and every time they play golf. And so, look, Coco Golf was someone I thought could be the last American standing. I thought as someone who, you know, fourth round of Wimbledon, uh, fourth round, excuse me, of the Australian Open, she lost to Ostapenko. Quarterfinals this year, French Open, she lost to Iga Sviantek. She'd had a really good run at the slams this year. She's been very consistent. You know, again, there's not a lot of dramatically – shocking or surprising losses for Coco Goff at the major. She's a primetime performer always, and in extending this match to the third again shows that primetime competitive spirit. But Sonia Kennan is back. 
that's the biggest headline that matters most on day one. And I think that's the only thing I'm really going to nerd out here on the day because there's still a lot of low-hanging fruit on the board. You know, for instance, I want to do a full 10-minute monologue on Fritz Hoffman, but it's 3-2 Fritz leads in the fifth. And to be honest, that was one match I didn't get to see a lot of because it overlapped perfectly when, when I, with when I was busiest at the Bloomfield Hills Challenger. I'm gonna watch as you know. I'm gonna watch at least an hour of that match uninterrupted tomorrow morning before we get going at Bloomfield Hills. I'll have that on one screen. I'll have the live Wimbledon action on another. I'll be following it throughout the course of the day as well. I'll have a guest joining me to help sort through all the uh, all the chaos. But again, Kenan Goff. The tennis world is better when Sonia Kennan's a part of the equation because she is the perfect contrast. She's a righty von Drusova, a little less quick, a little bit more powerful, a little bit more able to, you know, to generate the line drive tennis, to take away whatever it is you want to do as her opponent. Sonia Kennan has a skill in her bag of tricks, whether it's taking the ball on the rise, whether it's mixing in more drop shot if you're not the most comfortable mover, whether it's playing high and heavy if you are a big hitter who wants to be inside the baseline and she can just, again, disrupt your rhythm by pushing you back and slowing things down. When Sonia Kennan has her arsenal of tricks working, she has been one of my favorite players to watch since she broke into the scene. Again, what, 2015? 13, 14, 15. I'm going to guess 2015-ish. I want to say, no, like 13, 14-ish maybe. I want to say it was towards the end of my high school, start of my college time that she was winning that USTA San Diego title and when in the girls' 18s when she was, again, 15 years old and playing U.S. Opens. And again, she's the oldest 24-year-old. It feels, her and Sabalenka are the two oldest 24, 25-year-olds we have in this sport. And yet, Kennan's back. What a win. Again, that's your most notable upset of the day, I would argue, men's or women's side. Now, on the women's side, four upsets overall. Anna Bogdan, it's an impressive win, 6-6 six and six over Ludmilla Samsonova. It could be a precipitous decline for Samsonova in the rankings. Again, just won so many matches, winning the City Open, winning Cleveland, what was it, third or fourth round U.S. Open, winning the Tokyo title late last year. You know, this first half of the season was where she, like Caroline Garcia, got to make up the points, got to make a top 15 push as Ludmilla Samsonova did. She capitalized on the opportunity. But now she's got to hold, you know, now she's got to win these sorts of matches when you're pushed to two tie breaks and you have the biggest weapons in your serve, your first forehand. And by the way, ditto for Chin Wen, who has had a Jung Chin Wen, the 24 seed, knocked out three and five by Katarina Sinyakova. Now Sinyakova just won a title last week in Bad Hamburg. The low, flat, line-drive tennis she plays fits on a grass court like a hand in a glove. It's not a bad loss for Chin Wen because Sinyakova is a top 25 player when she plays her best. Certainly a top 30 player. Should have been probably seated following Bad Hamburg if you were going to go by straight ELO rankings or straight who are the top 32 in terms of best grass court form right now. I think Sinyakova is always in that conversation. And you know Chin Wen still has not played a ton of grass court tennis in her career, but her weapons are too big. Her serve is too big. She's got a, you know, again, 7-5 set, so I guess that is a sort of essentially a tie-break set, but you just felt, again, it's the inconsistency. It's that you just, it feels like for Chin Wen, yes, she'll put together holds, but you feel like you never get six good points in a row. You might get three, you know, you might get, you might get a hold that love game where she connects on four first serves and just has four easy plus one opportunities for herself. But 
I just, yeah, I, I, I don't know. She, she is someone I, I know she's dealt with a lot of injuries in the first half of the season. Just brought Wim Fassett, former coach to Naomi Osaka. That will be a valuable addition to her team. She is someone I'm watching most closely as we enter the second half because she is someone who could, if everything clicks and her and Fassett find a rhythm right away, she has the weapons, she has the athleticism, she has the game to be a future superstar in this sport. I've said that before. That's nothing new. And again, we just haven't really seen the results here in 2023. And that's a credit to Sinyakova, who just made her life miserable. Shout out to Rebecca Masarova, 7-6 in the third over Meyer Sharif as well. Again, Goff, Samsonova, Chinwen, Sharif, your first four seeds eliminated in the women's singles draw at this year's Wimbledon. On the men's side, only two seeds formally knocked off on the day. And, you know, again, given how physical a game style Nishioka plays, to see him out hit by the Colombian Daniel Galan, uh, 6'4", 6'3", 6'3", on this surface. I don't know if that's particularly surprising. And guess what? For Yoshi Nishioka, who has, what, that City Open final to defend from last year where, if memory serves me correct, he got knocked out by Kyrios. I think that was last year. He's got some serious points. Uh, was that last year? No, or was last year the the heat day where things got funky? I don't even remember at this point. There are so many matches. I'm fairly certain last year was Kyrgios. I'll look it up in a little bit. Nevertheless, uh, again, for Nishioka, um, I, I don't think this was that. I, I don't think grass courts are ever going to be the court where his game uh, thrives the most because, again, it is so predicated on baseline physicality. But, you know, Felix Ogier Aliasim has had outstanding success at Wimbledon before, and to see him, I know he hasn't been his healthiest, but to see him lose a match on this surface in particular to Michael Moe, 7-6-6-7-7-6-6-4, it's just not a match FAA should, look, uh, no one believes in Michael Moe's game more than me, go check the film, go check the podcast, go check the Twitter, when Michael Moe is healthy, he's a top 100 guy, he moves like a top 10 guy, and you know, again, on a surface, particularly a hard court, when he is able to impose that physicality, and by the way, guy's absolutely jacked. He absorbs pace so well, can redirect it so well, particularly, in my opinion, on that backhand wing. But on this surface, where, yes, his serve is amplified, but the first serve, the first strike, the, I would say, significant success uh, advantage moving forward and the significant skill set success in moving forward that FAA possesses over Mo. I mean, FAA lost two breakers. He went one and two in the breakers here to Michael Mo in this match. And look again, FAA has not played a ton of tennis and you could tell there was not a ton of rhythm for Felix, but that's the problem is you just feel like Felix is such a rhythm-dependent player. Look, Michael Moe's a guy who is going to put the ball back in play. He's going to make it service liner deeper, but he's not afraid to keep it center third. He's not afraid, even on this surface, to try to outwork you physically. You're going to have looks to take the big swing, and there are just far too many errors from Felix on this day. Again, credit to Michael Moe, asked every right question of a guy who did not have... Michael Moe played this match brilliantly. He saw that Felix... Got gun shy, like for lack of a better term. Felix was not comfortable making the aggressive play when the moment called for it because he was a little bit afraid of Michael Moe's speed. But you could just tell the four, in particular, the forehand approach and the footwork. And it just felt like he missed that forehand approach. And 
in a different location every time. And that's when you know you're struggling. If you make the same error two times in a row, you're probably making the same mistake. And that feels correctable. But when you start missing long, and then you overcompensate. Now you're missing in the net. Now you found your rhythm, but you can't do anything but down the center. You try to go down the line, it sprays wide. You try to go cross court, that sprays wide because now you're a little bit too early. When it's a different error every time, that's when life becomes most dangerous. And I think, you know, again, for Felix, that's the most concerning part right now is that it's not the same error. It's just like every error is a little bit different because you can just see he's thinking out there and it's not rhythm. It's not flowing as it was so beautifully at the end of last season. And again, some of that is injury dependent, but disappointing loss for Felix. Heck of a win for Michael Moe, who just continues to further consolidate his spot inside the top 100 of the ATP rankings. You look now for the 25-year-old Mo following this victory. He is back up to number 113. Excuse me, he's been out, though, with, as I've said, he's been out with injuries uh, so frequently. And look, when Michael Moe is healthy, he's a top 100 player. And I think this sort of victory epitomizes that fact. One more victory, by the way, gets him back up to number 102. And now he's in strike zone for all, you know, he can go play maybe a DC or go play in Atlanta, go play a Los Capos. Hardcore events where he's had success in the past. He certainly, if healthy, can have success again here in the future. A credit to Michael Moe. A uh, good victory uh, for the 25-year-old again in knocking off uh, Felix, the 11th seed, 6-4 in the fourth Felix, though, Nishioka, your only seeds eliminated on the men's side on the day. In terms of matches that went the distance, only one five-setter completed on the men's side. Again, a bunch of matches suspended due to um, darkness. But how about Jordan Thompson from 6-2-6-2 down, 2-6-2-6-6-4-7-6-6-3, the Aussie vet who shaved the mustache for this Wimbledon. It was striking to see, but... You know, to knock out a guy in Nakashima who reached the fourth round at this event last year, to do it from two sets to love down, you know, the, the first serve for Brandon Nakashima just kind of went away through, uh, as the match progressed. And meanwhile, you know, you're getting the same Jordan Thompson from minute one to minute 201 throughout the course of a match. I don't know. Like, I, when I, it's similar for Brandon. When I watch him out there, I just see someone who's searching right now for answers that, you know, again, for a guy who, who's staple in getting into the top 100 was he was, just, he didn't beat himself. He always made the right de- the decision. And, you know, again, he was always so measured in choosing those moments to go down the line. So precise in picking his spots. Yes, he's tried to become more aggressive, tried to hit out on the ball more in the pursuit of developing weapons that will raise his ceiling from a guy who certainly can play top 75 talent for many, many years to come to a guy who has weapons, can impose his will, and you add that on top of his physicality, maybe then you're looking at the profile of a guy who can be a top 20, top 15, top 10 sort of talent Again, it's still putting all the pieces together. And guess what? That's what happens when you're 20, 21 years old. I'm still very confident that Brandon Nakashima, more likely than not, assuming things stay healthy financially for tennis, and we can talk about the Saudi Arabia investing potentially in the ATP WTA news post-Wimbledon when we have a little bit more time to speak with a big brain to focus on it. But, I mean, I'm not selling my stock. 
Uh, I'm still holding my Brandon Nakashima position. I don't think he leaves the top 100 for a long time. I think he has a bounce back American hardcourt summer in his future. Still credit to Jordan Thompson, the only man to earn a five-set victory on the day. Yet eight four-set, uh, uh, eight four-set, eight three-set winners, excuse me, on the women's side. They were the following. Jessica Pagula, she was tested, man. She just, you can tell, she just hasn't played a ton of grass court tennis this year. And, you know, again, the or she's just not comfortable with her footing when she can hit the ball cleanly, her ability to play low-line drive tennis, her ability to redirect at any given moment. It's the profile of a successful grass court player. But, again, Pagula working her way into rhythm. Davis asked all the right questions. Six two six seven six three. Pagula over Davis to take the title. Uh, to take the title to advance to round number two. Excuse me. That's how you know I got to wrap this podcast shortly because I have Bloomfield Hills Challenger brain and we got to run it all back tomorrow. Anyways, Azarenka three set winner, much needed. She's just been very up and down throughout the course of this year and. There have been pockets of brilliance, but 6-4 in the third, you live to fight another day. Petra Marcic, she advances 4-1 in the third when Fruvertova forced to retire. Now, I thought Fruvertova, you know, again, it didn't look like a long-term debilitating injury for Linda Fruvertova. Fought so well to take that second set. You could just tell the gas tank was on empty after that. And guess what? For an 18, 17-year-old, that's going to happen. This is the sort of loss you take now to win that match, maybe even as soon as next season. Those were your seeded three-set winners on the unseeded side. How about Layla Fernandez? She gets a much-needed win, 6-4 over Kozlova in the third. Uh, Diane Perry, a former top junior in the world. You know I love her one-handed backhand, her forehand, her eagerness to get to the net and the quickness of her first step. 6-4 in the third. She knocks out one of my dark horses, Harriet Dart. Then I should have had Perry on my dark horse list. The moment I saw that first-round match, I think I saw, I talked about it in my women's draw preview. The moment I saw that first-round match, I, I immediately retracted, right? And you know, you, because Diane Perry, her slice perhaps on the backhand side, most effective on this surface, or at least more so than any other, Perry, 6-4 in the third. Again, awfully impressive in doing so. Um, your other three-set winners, Podoroska, Saranko, Buxa, they all advance uh, in three sets to the second round. Uh those are your women's matches that went the distance. Now, to rapid fire through, how did the top seeds look? And we'll have plenty of time, perhaps, to talk about them throughout the course of this tournament. So this will truly be a rapid fire uh, in the truest sense. Ega looked like Ega. If you listen to our GSP Ace of the Day podcast today, you heard me pick her to win the title with Rabakana Sabalenka on the other side of the draw. I see no reason to think otherwise. Ega looked the part. She's playing real tennis while everyone else is struggling to find their footing. One in three. She advances. Garcia just volleying nets couldn't hurt her. She's through in straights. Kasakina was hurt, yet manages to get through her match in straight sets. A testament to, again, Kasakina is just some sort of competitor. And then Kudermatova, six and four. Sneaky dark horse candidate still as a contender. Benchich, much needed win. Straight sets, Lynette, Mertens, Boshkova. Your other seeds to earn straight set victories on the day. Unseeded winners. Venus came close, but in the end, Alina Svitolina, 6-4, 6-3, a big win for Svitolina. You just hope we get to see, you know, again, Venus joking in the press conference, I'll play till in, in my 50s. No one's done it, so why don't I try it? She's earned it. 
Venus gets to do whatever she wants to end her career. So as long as she's willing to play, I know I speak for all of us as tennis fans. We want to watch her. Uh, credit to Svitolina, though. Conti- uh, you know, again, she has no. She should have no business giving everything going on in her life to play at the current level she is. To, to get it back this quickly speaks to the sort of once in a generation, not once in a generation, but it speaks to the elite athleticism, elite drive that she possesses as well. Von Drosova, straight sets over Stearns. Burridge, straight sets over McNally. Just proves Jody Burridge making that final in Birmingham or wherever it was that Katie Bolter beat her at the start of this grass court month. That result was real. That's a really good win for the Brit. Wang Xinyu over standards. Cerebez Tormo over Trevi San. Did I not tell Chris Otto that I like Alicia Parks to perhaps get hot? At this Wimbledon. Well, Parks, 4-3 and three for the big serving young American over Friedsum. And then Striskova, straight set win over Zanevska. Those are your women's matches on the day. On the men's side, Novak went down an early break. The result was still never in doubt. And for a man who hasn't played tennis in a month, he, he looks, yeah, like Novak freaking Djokovic. He looks like a guy who is pacing himself and to quote him, has perfectly mastered the art of pacing through the seven matches it takes to win a Grand Slam. Pedro Cashin really couldn't hurt. I mean, again, they just couldn't hurt him. Everything was in, everything was, it was Djokovic's decision whether or not to change direction in a rally. And if you're leaving a match on Novak Djokovic's racket, well, just check the history books to see how that match is likely to finish. Djokovic, again, through to the second round. He was not my most impressive seed on the day. That title belongs to Yannick Sinner, who would have been a top-five contender for me if he just wasn't so banged up over the course of the past three months. But looked healthy today. 2-2-2 two, two, and two over the lefty Juan Manuel Sarundolo, who, of course, will never be the most natural fit for this surface. But, God, he just could not hurt Sinner, and Sinner absolutely blitzed him. So, Sinner, your most impressive seed on the day. Shout out to Rude, Rublev, Musetti, Hercots, Bublik. They all get wins. I thought for Bublik to drop that first set to Mackie McDonald to steady the ship 4-4-4 four, four, and four the next three sets. Are we seeing a maturing Sasha Bublik before our eyes? I am definitely not ready to say that yet. But certainly after eight straight Hala champions had lost their first run Wimbledon match, I saw people joking about it. Sasha Bublik, he breaks the Hala curse. I don't know if it was eight or seven, but again, shout out to Bublik. Shout out to Hercot, dominant, 1-4-4 four four over Ramos Vinolas. Yeah, and then Lorenzo Musetti's just, the success we saw is real. He beats my birthday brother, Juan Pablo Varias, 3-1-5. He's one of those, I'm good on any surface, I'm that sort of athlete. And again, Lorenzo Musetti, is he the quiet, you know, again, quietly the youngest guy who's, I mean, again, I know Runa and Runa's younger. I think Alcaraz is slightly younger as well, but Musetti ain't old. He's what, 20, 21 years old and top 20 in the world. I just, we don't talk about him at the, at the caliber of an Alcaraz, of a Sinner, of a Runa. It's because he doesn't have the slam pedigree. He doesn't have, even though he was up two sets to love on Djokovic, but he doesn't have the the, repe- uh, the repeated slam pedigree. He doesn't have the signature breakthrough master's runs that guys like Alcaraz, Runa, Sinner have, but he's done just about everything else. So maybe, you know what? I think Musetti, much like Chin Wen, he's moving into my must-watch into the second half of the season territory. Uh, a guy to keep an eye on who's looked really good on the grass courts and steadying the ship and preparing uh, for that second half of the season push. 
That's how your men's seeds did, who completed their matches. Your other winners, straight sets. You had Schwartzman, Wawrinka, shout out to 2012. I saw GoFan one earlier today, so it really was a great day for 2012 tennis. Uh, Ota, or 2014 really, Ota, Brody, Mute, Emer, Wolf, your other straight set winners on the day. And then the guys who won in four, Martyrer, Karatsev, Munar over Isner. That's a fun, unexpected win on a grass court given the matchup. Shout out to former Illini All-American Alex Vukic, stud. He's consolidating his top 100 spot. He's through in four. Chinsky, 6-2 in the fourth. Barrios Vera, 7-6 in the fourth. Uh, he knocks out Sebi Baez. a really good win for the Chilean who... Just, again, sneaky, sneaky success over the course of the past 18 months. That's everything that finished. Again, I'll talk more about the matches that conclude tomorrow that didn't do so today. In particular, Fritz Hanfman, 3-2, fifth set. We're all locked in. Other than that, seeds on upset alert. Paya, 6-3, four all. He leads Chorich. Elbot, 7-5, two all. He leads Chapo. Halise, up two sets to love on Evans. Zapata Morales, two sets to one up on Echeverry. Mayotte, 6-3, 5-3 up on Bonzi. You also have RBA, uh, who's up two sets to one on Roman Safilin. All those matches set to conclude tomorrow. We'll have all, we'll offer thoughts on them, plus everything else that unfolds throughout the course of day two on tomorrow's show. Of course, if you're looking for a preview of that action, all you got to do is head on over to our Great Shot podcast feed. We'll have Ace of the Day segments each and every day of this Wimbledon, offering our thoughts, offering on pr- our predictions on everything we expect to unfold, of course. Recaps will be here on the Mini Break podcast feed. A shout-out, as always, to my super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the fuck of an editing job he does day in, day out making all of our content possible a shout out as well to our dear friends at tennis point for their continued support remember it's tennis-point.com the promo code is cr15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world with that said for my fantastic super producer daniel westoff our friends at tennis point from all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say that's the break and we'll talk to you all tomorrow thanks everyone